Hi everyone, welcome back to Black and Cold, which is a true crime podcast. I am your host, Nichelle, and I am back this week with, yes, another case for you. So I mentioned in my last episode on Sunday that I had a surprise for all my dedicated listeners who have been waiting patiently. I know I've been kind of falling off a little bit, but this is the surprise, and I have decided to release another episode this week. And you guys, this is also episode number 15. So not only is this an extra one, but it is also a milestone for Black and Cold. So yay! Again, thank you to everyone who have been tuning in weekly. Please don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review this show. Um, You can also submit any case suggestions that you may have, and I will leave that link in the description for you all. The case I will be discussing on this episode is just so tragic, and it's going to leave you with the question of why, like just why. This story is the epitome of a devil in disguise, in my opinion, but we are in Boston, Massachusetts, when a young mom goes out for a night with her friends, and after leaving the club that they went to, she was never seen alive again. Today, I will be telling you about the murder of Jassy Correa. So it is the year 2019 and Jassy Correa was living what she may have considered a new slate. Besides looking forward to another year as her 23rd birthday was approaching, she had a precious two-year-old daughter as well as a family who supported and loved her very much. Jassy was described as being vibrant, fun, and she was notably beautiful. Jassy was living in an emergency shelter in Lynn after surviving an abusive relationship. The father of her daughter had severely beat her, breaking her nose and fracturing her orbital bone just one year before in January of 2018. According to Salem News, at the time of the incident, Jassy texted the mother of her ex, asking her to help because she was in fear that the father of her daughter would kill her. Jassy also sent photos of her injuries where blood could be seen dripping down her face. The police showed up to the apartment where Jassy was assaulted, and when her ex answered the door, he initially told authorities that she wasn't there. But Salem News also reported that the police were suspicious of this story when they could see blood throughout his home. And after doing a search, law enforcement discovered Jassy inside, hiding under a staircase in the basement. Her ex was initially charged with multiple assault accounts, kidnapping in addition to others. Jassy's injuries were very severe and they were shown at his trial. He ultimately was found guilty by a Salem Superior Court in January of 2019, one year after the incident. Jassy then found safety in a shelter for DV victims and moved to Lynn to begin a fresh start. On the night of Saturday, February 23, 2019, Jassy Correa and her friends headed to Venue Nightclub in the theater district in Boston to celebrate her birthday, which was just in a couple of days. 
Now, venue was a pretty popular spot in that location, so she knew she was bound to have a good night for her birthday. After having some drinks in their system and partying it up, Jassy and her friends began to exit the club as it was towards closing. Upon leaving, according to her friend Victoria, the group got into an argument with each other, which caused them all to split up, leaving Jassy by herself. Some of Jassy's movements were captured on video surveillance near the nightclub. She could be seen wearing an orange jumpsuit, hoop earrings, as well as a denim jacket with lips and pink wings on the back of it. She was also barefoot. After a few minutes of Jassy being alone outside, a man with facial hair then can be seen approaching her at around 2.14 a.m. The two speak and walk off with one another and the video shows them leaving in a red sedan together near Tremont and Herald Streets. This would be the last physical sighting of Jassy alive. Hours and then days passed and Jassy's family hadn't seen or heard from her, and they knew this was out of the ordinary, especially with the fact that she had dropped her daughter off with her grandmother the night that she went out with her friends. Jassy's family discovered her belongings had been brought back to her apartment, but there was still no sign of her anywhere. According to her father, Joaquin Correa, his daughter's shoes, bag, keys, and balloons from the night that she went out were all there in her home, and that was already a big red flag to him. A cousin of Jassy's named Katia told NBC Boston that she tried to reach her Sunday, and when she got no answer, you know, she just assumed that her phone was dead. 24 hours later, the following Monday, Jassy's brother Joel tried to reach her, but he also got no response. On the next day, which was Tuesday, February 26th, also the day of Jassy's actual birthday, Joaquin tried to contact his daughter multiple times, but again, he got nothing but a voicemail. Jassy's phone was still shut off. So on that day, which should have been filled with multiple birthday texts, calls, and well wishes, Joaquin, along with Jassy's friend, decided to file a missing persons report for her at 5.30 p.m. with the Boston Police Department. I mean, they knew that this could be critical. Jassy hadn't been in contact with anyone for almost three days. Once the police began an investigation into Jassy's disappearance, they quickly learned of the man who she left the nightclub with after looking at surveillance videos from the early hours of Sunday morning. And on the next day, Wednesday, February 27th, authorities turned to the public for help and they released stills and short videos from that morning showing the image of the unknown man who was now a person of interest. I mean, he was the last person to be seen with Jassy. Authorities suspected him of kidnapping, and they knew that they needed his information and fast. The images and videos of the unknown individual could be seen on local news stations, as well as social media sites like Facebook and Twitter. So while law enforcement was working on their end, Jassy's loved ones wanted to spread the word on her disappearance themselves by posting flyers with her photos and information on her last whereabouts. According to Joaquin, he had no idea who the man was on the footage released by the police. He had never seen him before. The police decided to go back to where everything began, which was at Venue Nightclub. 
they obtained records from all the ID cards that were scanned by security at that club on the Saturday night of February 23rd. And that's where they were able to make a match to the man in the video. The police were now looking for 32-year-old Louis Coleman III, who went to venue the same night Jassy was there. Investigators were now getting somewhere because not only did they have a suspect, but they also had an address to go off as well. Coleman's ID listed a Providence, Rhode Island address, 50 miles away from venue. Louis Coleman III was officially named publicly for people to be on the lookout for. As soon as they got this hit, investigators went straight to the residence listed on Coleman's license, and they were able to find out that he rented an apartment in that building on the sixth floor. And with the help of the building's video surveillance, everything came full circle and quick. According to the affidavit on video footage, the police saw a similar red sedan to the one that Jassy got into entering the parking lot of this apartment building in Providence at around 4.15 a.m., which was the Sunday morning Jassy and her friends left venue. And this was two hours after her and Coleman were seen getting into his red vehicle. And I don't think anyone was fully prepared for what they would see next. The video then captured who we now know is Louis Coleman III, parking his car only to return to the vehicle shortly after with a light-colored blanket. Next, he can be seen carrying a body with long hair and orange pants into this apartment building at around 4.27 a.m., according to this report. FBI Special Agent Sukowskis, and apologies if I mispronounced that, Um, He immediately knew the victim was a good chance of being Jassy as he was familiar with what she wore the night that she went out with her friends. The woman in the video being carried was naked from the waist up. Coleman then could be seen dragging the victim to this building's elevator and then just two minutes later he was captured dragging her off toward his apartment on the sixth floor of the building. After going into his home, Coleman doesn't appear to have any movements for a couple of days. But as they kept viewing the building's footage, the police saw him leave his apartment on Tuesday, the 26th, and he returned with what appeared to be Walmart shopping bags. The same day as Jassy's birthday, and the very same day her family filed a missing persons report for her. After tracking down more surveillance, this time from the local Walmart, authorities were able to confirm that the vehicle Coleman was driving was a 2016 Red Buick, which they discovered was registered to his mother in California. They also confirmed that he made purchases at this Walmart, and they were able to track down exactly what he brought. According to the affidavit, the receipts showed that he purchased the following. Tyvek suits, duct tape, two candles, electrical tape, a mask, surgical gloves, two pairs of safety goggles, a respirator, and CLN release bleach bath. On Wednesday, February 27th, while Jassy's family is feeling devastated and still looking for answers, hoping that she'd return home safely, Coleman is seen on video again, entering his building with a dark suitcase close to 10 o'clock p.m. 
Just a few hours later, in the early hours of Thursday, he wheels the same suitcase outside of his building at 1.15 a.m., where he then puts it in the trunk of his car. The report signed by Agent Sukowskis says Coleman appeared to struggle while lifting the suitcase. After closing the trunk and going back to his building, between the hours of 2.44 to 4 o'clock a.m., Coleman made multiple trips back and forth from his vehicle to his apartment. He was seen carrying things like trash bags, a bottle of bleach, a laptop, a duffel bag, in addition to other items. That same day, law enforcement was able to execute a search in Coleman's home after obtaining a warrant. As they went through his place, they discovered more disturbing items. Inside, there were two respirator masks, as well as two packages of hooded coveralls. Then, they realized that the light-colored couch inside his apartment was missing one cushion cover, which investigators thought was strange. In addition to searching his home, they decided to look through a dumpster outside of the building on Chester Street in Providence, and there was yet more items that depicted a story that Coleman clearly had a plan, a plan that suggested he wanted to dismember and slash or maybe burn Jassy's body. And I'm just going to name a few more of the additional items that were found. And there were men's jeans with bleach stains, an empty box of baking soda, safety goggles, empty packages for purifying charcoal, and lastly, those damn Walmart shopping bags. On Thursday, February 28th, the same day his photo was blasted and he was publicly named into the kidnapping of Jassy, Coleman was stopped in a whole nother state by Delaware State Police on the I-95 South near the Wilmington area at 2.45 p.m. And I mean, obviously, he was now the target of a manhunt, so Coleman was not able to get that far. He was stopped by the troopers and asked if anyone else was in the car with him. Coleman said something along the lines of, quote, she's in the trunk, end quote. The troopers opened the trunk of the red Buick where they discovered the same dark suitcase Coleman was wheeling in and out of his apartment just the day before. And inside the suitcase, they found a black plastic bag. Now inside that bag, they observed a light colored cushion cover consistent with the same one that was missing from Coleman's home. And that wasn't it. Inside of the cushion cover, there was Jassy's lifeless body. The report states that she was severely bruised and that she had duct tape over her mouth. She also had this white powdery residue on her body, which was believed to be baking soda. And this aligns with that empty box of baking soda that investigators found in the dumpster back in Rhode Island. After getting another search warrant to look through Coleman's car, the police obtained more items which stayed consistent with the idea that Coleman appeared to have his own agenda for Jassy. Again, I'm just going to name a few of the items that were found. A computer hard drive, disinfectant wipes, black gloves, multiple air fresheners, a butane lighter, a new set of DeWalt pliers, in addition to others. Lewis Coleman III was taken into custody by the Delaware State Troopers. While being booked, when he was asked about a Band-Aid that was on his face, he allegedly said, quote, 
it's from the girl, or something along the lines like that. Coleman was returned back to Rhode Island, where he was initially charged with kidnapping, failure to report a death, and mutilation of a dead body. Unfortunately, Jassy's family had to hear the worst scenario possible in regards to their loved one. They held a press conference 24 hours after her body was found, where they stressed that they just wanted to remember Jassy for being the beautiful soul that she was. Even with the clearer picture as his mugshot was released to the public, Jassy's family was still not familiar with Coleman. And as for the people who did know him, I think shock was an understatement. No one saw this coming from who they thought this man was, or at least who he appeared to be. The 32-year-old who was living in Providence at the time was originally from California. Lewis Coleman III attended Cal State University, where he received his master's in physics. In an article from Boston Globe, one of Coleman's previous professors gave a little feedback and described him as being quiet, but he was a, quote, fairly smart student. On his own website, Coleman described himself as being a developer, an engineer, and a physicist. Coleman's cousin spoke with WBZ4 in an interview, and he was surprised that his family member could commit such a heinous crime. His cousin, who says he grew up with him, described Coleman as the family member that everyone wanted to be like. He came from a good background, and he seemed to have everything that he wanted growing up. His family was never under the impression that he could be a violent person, nor were they aware of any mental issues that Coleman may have had. Neighbors who lived at the building on Chester Street, where Coleman resided, felt no different. A man who lived in the same building told WPRI 12 that he seemed like a normal guy and that they would have occasional conversations in the elevator sometimes. Another tenant who lived directly below Coleman said he used to come home late frequently, but he recalled hearing a lot of movement, more than usual, around the time he would have had Jassy in his home. So no one could understand how someone who seemed, and I use that term loosely, seemed to be smart, successful, and nice, would just take somebody else's life with no care. A criminologist named Jack Levin also spoke with WPRI 12 about the shocking crime and he gave his expert opinion on this case. And he made it clear that anyone could commit this type of crime. A lot of people want to assume that people with good education or higher social classes may not do something to this nature, but Levin says this is simply not the case. And just from my little true crime passion and love that I have, I see this all the time in so many stories that I learn about and so many documentaries that I watch, and it is baffling. You just really never know who someone could be. Levin also told WPRI that Coleman was, quote, an amateur with no conscience, end quote. And I'm definitely going to say that he is spot on with that no conscience theory because it later came out that Coleman was sending text messages to another woman that he met at the club while Jassy's body was in his home. According to the Boston Herald, Coleman had a conversation with another woman he wanted to meet up with just hours after he dragged deceased Jassy upstairs to the sixth floor apartment. 
Now with Coleman in custody, the police began looking into him more after receiving tips that he may be involved in other crimes in the state of Massachusetts, starting from the year of 2013. The Brockton police were previously investigating three violent rapes as well as two unsolved murders all within a year. Both homicide victims were found together in the woods. And after DNA was taken from one of the murder victims, it was determined to be a match to that of the three rapes. And there is something called DNA phenotyping, which can predict someone's physical characteristics based off of a DNA sample. And because I am not an expert, I'm just going to read you a quote from the Boston Herald by the DA's office, where they say the process can use a quote, DNA sample to predict the person of interest, physical appearance, and develop a computer-generated composite sketch. The technology uses the DNA to accurately predict eye, hair, and skin color, end quote. And I could see why this composite that surfaced in 2017 could be suggested as Coleman. Um, There are some similarities in looks. Like I could see it around the eyes and the ears. Um, I also read that Coleman was in Providence for only two years. And remember, he is originally from California. So again, it could be, but this is just something that we do not know. So I'll either put the link so you guys can see the photo in the description, or I'll post the photo to our Instagram, one or the other. Again, this has not been confirmed to this day, and he has not been charged in any of these other crimes, but investigators were looking into Coleman to see if he may be responsible. Because Coleman traveled and allegedly committed the crime against Jassy within three different states, his case became federal. It was determined that Jassy died as a result of strangulation and blunt force trauma. It was also determined that she probably put up one hell of a fight after the police viewed the windshield of Coleman's car, which was cracked on the passenger side. On April 9, 2019, Coleman pled not guilty to a federal charge of kidnapping resulting in death in federal court. If he is found guilty, he may face the death penalty for this crime against Jassy Correa. As we know with COVID-19, many court cases and trials may have been delayed and moved around. Mass Live reported Coleman's trial is scheduled to start on February 28, 2022 in Boston. Although many people will have the same opinions from the facts that I laid out from the affidavit and other sources on who is responsible for this crime, just to be clear, everything is alleged as Coleman has not been convicted of the murder of Jassy Correa. Also at this moment, we do not have a clear motive on this case, but this story just leaves you asking yourself why. And this is one of those cases that is just plain old scary to be honest because it just goes to show you that you really may never know who someone really is and Coleman is a nice looking dude Jassy was beautiful and what happened to her could have been anyone and in a vulnerable stage where she was after fighting with her friends on top of alcohol being consumed either way you look at it this should have never occurred 
Jazzy overcame a lot at such a young age and it's so messed up. Like she came out of one dangerous situation and as soon as that seemed to get nipped in the bud, one month later, her life was taken by someone else. Reading the comments and the theories in this case, a lot of people say, well, you know, why did she leave with a stranger or why did her friends leave her? And yeah, I get it. I I definitely get it. And I think I said this in Alonzo's episode. I would definitely advise um, anyone to arrive and leave with the same people, no matter where you go. Um, But while it's very easy to judge these situations, I just don't agree with the victim blaming You know, Jassy was still someone's daughter. She was someone's sister. And she was the mother to a two-year-old girl at the time who now has to grow up without one. Thank you, everyone, for tuning into this episode. I will be back next week with another case.